0: Welcome to season eight. This is your host, Patrick Fundara. I'm thrilled to welcome you to Franchise Findings, where we dive deep into the world of franchising. Join us as we dissect the top franchise businesses across various industries, bringing you invaluable insights and expert interviews with franchisees, as well as industry leaders. With Patrick Fendoro here, co founder at Visa Franchise and Vetted Viz. Excited to have on Kurt Buskey, who's the president and co founder of A Better Solution and Home Care, also called ABS. Kurt, thanks for joining. Thank you. Good to be here. So, we've been working together some time with our, our foreign national clients at Visa Franchise. You treated them well. Thanks again for all that support. And many of them are doing more of a semi absentee model that I, I want to go in on, on today's video, as it's very applicable for Americans also that don't want to. Leave their day job. It doesn't make financial sense to, to leave their day job. But before we get into the exact model in your business, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you entered into this space.
1: Yeah, well, I'll try and make that long story uh, summarized. But uh, so I, I'm a, probably had a few careers in my life. My bachelor's is in um, business administration, human resources management. My first career, I was an HR director for a major multi million dollar business. Uh, pet supply retail company, and then I became a social worker. I got my master's degree in social work, became a medical social worker, worked in a variety of different types of environments. And some of those environments are environments that we interact with in home care. Mm-hmm. In terms of ending up with a better solution, I was running a nonprofit organization uh, for about a decade that provided support services to family caregivers. Like if you were taking care of one of your parents and needed resources or was stressed out, didn't know what to do. And we had some government funding for respite care. So we were the only nonprofit in San Diego County at the time that was able to give out really funded contracts to mm-hmm. non-medical home care organizations. And so I contracted there were about you know, over 200 organizations in our territory at the time. And, um, I contracted with twelve, of the best, and a better solution was one of my contracted vendors, and so got to know Leah Smith, uh, our founder and CEO, over the course of about ten years. She jokes and says it was the longest interview ever, right? And um, you know, eventually, I was in career transition, and she, you know, offered me the opportunity to, to be her business partner and just really help create this franchise system. So I came on over in 2015, and that's really when we started, but. You know, really, as a, as a franchisor, I mean, it's very important to understand, right, that, you know, I understood home care because I worked a lot with home care organizations, but I needed to understand the industry better from the inside, right? So I spent like my first year really, um, we were preparing to franchise, but part of preparing a business to franchise, it's more than just an FDD, right? It's, it's understanding that the business of being a franchisor is different than the business you're in here now. So you oh, yeah. may be a technical expert in this industry and in home care, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you know anything about franchising. So, you know, part of the preparation is really, you know, figuring out how to take all of this expertise and information and policies and procedures and forms, And put them in a box so to speak and in a format that can be teachable right and a format that you can really replicate and taking you know kind of all that information and knowledge out of our founders head and putting that in a format that can you know, really help educate and inspire our franchisees. So, you know, that was really kind of my first calling. So really working on this side of the table of home care in ops at our multi-million dollar home office. And that business is still in existence. And you know, then we started, you know, started franchising. So I think that that my background in in business and has been helpful but also my background in so many different aspects of healthcare from working in hospitals to you know working with family caregivers to you know partnering contracting with home care organizations and just really understanding the healthcare landscape that home care fits into and speaking that language i think that broad perspective has been real helpful because i didn't have this
0: siloed like home care perspective time. So Kurt, during that one year period of like diving into the industry, what were some surprising figure stats or just findings uh, about this industry that further picked your interest to, to continue on with ABS? Yeah, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, I'd say that the, the
1: biggest surprise was the way that a majority of our competitors operated. Now I got marketed to by all of these organizations these home care organizations when I was a referral source right so that's another valuable experience because I saw how people marketed home care and I knew what turned me on and what turned me off and 95% of the people that marketed to me turned me off and I was just a referral source I was a social worker right so um, you know we really really kind of talked a lot about you know how can we teach people to market to a way that really attracts the attention of somebody like myself? But one of the surprises was the ways in which a lot of our competitors operated didn't really honor the work that caregivers did. By and large, you know, I found in talking to caregivers and orienting probably 200 caregivers at our home office, you know, finding that that people really felt like gig workers. They they, they felt like, you know, this is a weird industry, right, because, you know, 75, 80 percent, maybe a little bit more of your workforce works for other home care agencies, works for your competitors, get a few hours here, a few hours here, a few hours here. So organizations naturally fall into the trap of just having caregivers on their roster, not really treating this like a, a real business or a real job. Yeah.
0: giving like them culture. Sh- it must be hard to like really foster a culture a um, when they're operating like akin to like basically an Uber driver for lack of a better example. So where's their home base? They work for all these agencies. And so
1: you have people that are working for competitors doing the same thing with them that they're doing for you. And so how do you really differentiate? And so I found that there were instantly saw that there were things that, that we could do as a brand, some of which we were already doing that made a lot of sense and and sort of built out this, this structure where hopefully people are looking at their experience with a better solution as their home base, even though they work for other organizations, things like you know, employee recognition and really managing performance, having a formal structure for managing the performance of your care team, giving them an opportunity to be successful through communication and formalized communication when they're you know, really uh, not adhering to performance expectations, but having clear performance expectations and making that path and expectations clear for care staff and not just saying, here's policies and procedures, you're oriented, you're signed on, we're gonna offer you work, right? Doing things like employee recognition, Giving caregivers the opportunity to have performance evaluations and merit increases and some of the things that they're not getting with a lot of the organizations out there. I think the top home care organizations and brands do these things, but a majority probably don't do all those things. At least that's what I found in talking to a lot of caregivers. Um, So I think that was my biggest surprise in terms of the, the lack of attention placed on really managing inspiring and cultivating that caregiving workforce and really creating a sense of culture and embracing that culture because you have a home care brand in this industry but it's not enough just to communicate that culture to your franchise owners and managers that has to trickle down to the care team because those are the people that are the most forward-facing with your clients Mm -hmm. right so it's kind of a tricky industry like that Communication, I think I was a little surprised in terms of how challenging communication is in this environment. It's one of the number one challenges beyond caregiver retention, things that you experience with the low wage workforce. Because if you think about it, your work sites are your clients' homes and your clients never come into a central place like your office, they're in these homes. So if you have 25 you know, clients in a day, you might have 25 work sites. Can you imagine if you had 25 restaurants and getting everybody on the same page? And so, you know, you have to really instill very focused things to, you know, um, inspire quality assurance and ensure that that you know staff at a franchise location, administrative staff are are spending time, you know, on a on a scheduled basis out where the work is being done. So,
0: you know, are there before- any like software quality- companies or vendors that have really kind of helped you execute on this mission?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of home care software systems out there and but all of them really have some mechanisms built in to inspire communication that the the software system we utilize has what's called like a call center, which is really a repository for notes. And so you can really note about a quality assurance visit and assign a follow up to another staff member, Um, you know, caregivers and clients all have access to the system and they can see. You know, client needs and care plans, family can as well, schedules, you know, EVV, which is electronic visit verification, allowing caregivers to, you know, how do you know if a caregiver showed up to a home, you know, to, to deal with a client? And so, mechanisms to ensure that, that we get pinged if somebody hasn't clocked into a shift. But um, things like that, if you're just using hard copy timesheets or something like that, you, you may have a lot of issues going on where as an organization, you really don't know who's receiving services
0: on a particular day or hour. So things that. Operating a hundred percent if this isn't like on the cloud.
1: Yeah. So things like that, you know, we've, we've really instituted a variety of mechanisms to ensure, you know, and facilitate communication. Um, that the team is all on the same page, quality assurance, and, you know, ensuring that we understand people are where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there.
0: What's harder right now for a better solution franchisees, finding the caregivers and and making sure they stay on and lowering the attrition rate, or is it finding the predominantly seniors that they're caring for? So this is the million dollar question, okay? And there's (laughs) a lot
1: of, there's a, there's a lot of chat constantly about this. Amongst home care owners nationally. Okay. And I think, you know, depending upon the owner you talk to, some people might say, you know, I, I need more business, right? Maybe they're not marketing enough or whatever it is. But by and large, the theme is one of the biggest challenges. And some people call it a crisis. I don't. But one of the biggest challenges in this industry is caregiver recruitment and retention, right? And, and part of the challenge is this um, there's numerous things that figure into that. And this has all been becoming, it's always been a challenge, right? Because you have a low wage workforce that have a ton of opportunity. Every home care organization in their area is always hiring. We're one of those weird industries where the help wanted sign is always up. Why? Well, how do you scale a home care business? Well, to scale any business, you have to have the things that you sell. You have to have the resources, right? And so In home care, really, you can't scale your business unless you scale your roster of caregivers. But your roster of caregivers won't stay on your roster if you don't have work for them. They're going to go somewhere else. So it's this always chicken or the egg kind of thing, game that you're playing, right? And so I I do think that it's a significant challenge. In our environment today, we've witnessed a demand for higher wages. The federal minimum wage has not gone up to levels that were, you know, t- have been talked about on a national level. Yeah,
0: very few people in the United States make minimum wage compared to other countries. And so, what's happened is in the last couple of
1: years, you have people that won't get out of bed for less than 15 or 16 bucks an hour, which is what's been talked about at the federal level, raising the minimum wage there, yeah. right? And so, you have this environment now where people want more money, right? And they may get really flaky if you're not paying them what they feel like they're worth or what they feel like they can get. And so attracting caregivers, if you don't have a ton of work to build out for them or if you're not offering them exactly what they want, can be challenging. But how do you retain caregivers? And that's the biggest challenge because, look, it's just a numbers game. And what I tell people when they go, it's a crisis. I can't find people. I set up 10 interviews. I confirmed them. One or two people showed up. And what we say is that's how it works. Like you just got to know going in that you're doing nothing wrong. You set up 10 interviews, one or two
0: people show up. You're not hiring an investment banker or a software developer where 98% of them are going to show up to the interview.
1: Nope. And you rinse and repeat and you just do this every day. But now it begs the question if you're bringing these people on and you're not having a solid onboarding effort, And you don't have work available. You're going to lose them. And so you've wasted all this time and effort. So retention is a challenge and certainly pay figures into retention, but also the quality of the work environment. But one of the biggest things that people need to understand to retain their care staff is they need to understand what they want. You know, what What hours do you want? What kind of schedule do you want? What are you looking for in this gig? You took this job. What do you want? And and so really one of the best things you can do to retain these staff is give them the schedule they want because they're in this game because they can have some control over when they work, right? I mean, that's the nice thing about it is, is you know, I... I, I can only work these days or these hours. And in home care, they can take a shift or not, right? And so if you're able to, to you know target particular caregivers and
0: give them close to the hours they want or the hours they want, it's the best way you can retain them because you're giving them what they want. Right. Great advice. And I think that can translate to a lot of different um, industries as well. Yeah. And and that are, are well suited for franchising and beyond. I think
1: so. The big challenge, though, Patrick, is it's caregiver recruitment and retention. And so what I mean by the big challenge is that it's a pillar of the business. And so a pillar would really dictate that it's something you have to have somebody dedicated to that they're doing every day. So caregiver recruitment staffing and scheduling you have to have somebody focused on that because if, if you have the same person doing that and then they're you know they're bit developing business as well they're pulled you know what they're doing is they're putting half time on those pillars business development caregiver recruitment staffing and scheduling Yeah it's like
0: you have the, the operations manager that becomes a COO handling the HR and recruitment side and then you have the sales manager that becomes a CEO mean yeah. sales and business stuff outwardly focused inwardly focused is kind of kind of how
1: it rolls so
0: it's just if if
1: you know what we try and do is coach people and train people on you know this is the business this is part of the business so it's not like some it doesn't have to be a crisis it's just something you no. put
0: attention on every That's single day. A modus operandi if you want to run a, a home care business in the united states and you can do very well but it's like i have a friend that runs um an executive coach business and there's Buses breaking down, and that's just life. And you can't let those things stress you out because there's yep. going to be issues, and that's just the market. You you know have yeah, your yeah. eyes open when you undo yeah. it. Exactly right. And so it's incumbent upon you know a
1: franchisor in any industry, right? I think if somebody's looking to get into the franchise world, they want to really do some assessment of you know is this franchisor in the business that you know they're franchising, and if they're not. You know, how long were they in this business and how do they keep their finger on the pulse of industry changes? Right. Because, you know, and that's why I think it's valuable, like with a system like ours, is we, we do this at a very high level every day. I mean, we have a multimillion dollar dollar non-medical home care organization in San Diego, California, it has been alive for 23 years. And, and so that type of experience, you know, we're in it and we're able to pilot ideas and things at the home office before we roll them out to a franchise system. So we're not testing things in the franchise system. We test them in our, our home shop, right? And so it gives us that opportunity. And this industry is changing and transitioning and, 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 it, and it should be because quite frankly, I think it's an exciting time for the industry and it's no mystery. Why is it? I mean, our consumer base is typically people in their 80s and 90s, and that's the fastest growing age demographic in the United States. And so, you know, there's a huge need that, that many older adults have for services that help them stay at home. They don't, they largely don't want to be in an institutional environment or a facility. And so, you know, I think it's really helpful to
0: work with a franchisor that, that walks that talk every single day. For sure. Yeah. And you're not treating the, the franchisee as a guinea pig as, as you test the different marketing campaigns or HR yeah. tactics. Kurt, can you tell me like more about the economics of the business model? So I don't know if you use like full time caregiver working 40 hours a week or by hour, but what kind of revenue multiple or. What what are we looking at like per caregiver, how many thousand of revenue, you know, a month or a year yeah. for it to make sense? We don't really look at it that way. We really kind of look at in home care we kind of
1: look at hours per week of service, right? Not you know, not necessarily like number of caregivers because you might have a caregiver working with a client twelve hours a day. Right. And that's going to be extremely meaningful. Or you might have another caregiver working two hours a week. So we kind of look at hours because you could have a location billing a real healthy amount with a handful of 24 7 clients and another location that has four times the number of clients and caregivers, but they're they're do the same performance. And so, you know, generally speaking in this business, like ten years ago, we used to say, you know, bill double what you pay. Your caret yeah. right? And so you got that fifty percent, like gross gross margin, I call it, because that doesn't that just includes bill rate minus wages. Okay, these days you're you're fine if you're you're putting out. You don't want to really put out more than sixty percent, but um, a lot of organizations are doing, you know, sixty percent, fifty five to sixty percent of bill rate out in payroll. So kind of okay. a forty five percent gross gross. You really don't want to see under forty percent. Uh, that you're keeping of that bill rate once wages have been paid, and then if you you know kind of follow those metrics, you know you're going to produce a more meaningful net profit margin when all is said and done. I mean, there's not a ton of overhead, right, in in home care because we're not a brick and mortar business. Just have a teeny office where you're interviewing and orienting caregivers, but you know our our more passively or semi passively owned locations, you have owners that are paying salaries for those two pillar positions, recruitment, staffing coordinator, and a business development person. And so, you know, their um, their monthly spend is, is, is higher than an owner-operator who's doing those pillar functions themselves.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the semi-absentee and absentee. I think that's how we originally connected maybe three or four yeah. years back where we had clients that generally had a pretty significant net worth and they had a very high opportunity cost to Start a ground-up business, whether it was a franchise or not, where they might be making 150 to 500k plus. How have you guys kind of molded that absentee, semi-absentee model over time to cater to not just foreign nationals but a lot of Americans that don't want to give up their their nice paycheck? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll try and summarize a fairly complex question, right? Um, <laughs> we saw the writing on the wall. Okay. And, and we were really seeing, we were talking to brokers. We have good relationships with brokers. I mean, I consider brokers like customers, right? And so, you know, we really have a good relationship with a lot of brokers and, you know, a couple of them were saying, like, you know, look, things have changed in our world. And a majority of people they were saying that they talk to these days are people that are in this transition and sort of wanting to get out of the corporate world and really wanting to be the master of their own destiny and and build their own business. But, you know, can't afford to leave one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar, whatever job to deal with a startup business that they can't pull money off for their first whatever. Right. year you have whatever it is. And so we really saw that writing on the wall and created um, what we call a managed model. Now, people need to be careful because franchisors across industries, there's many out there that will say we have a passive ownership model. And I've talked to plenty of prospective owners that get to Discovery Day and then the cat's out of the bag and they realize this takes 20
0: hours a week of their time. Or like, they vet, like They talk to a couple of franchisees and it's like, no, dude, it's not like that. Like, yeah. so, <laughs> I have to spend all this work. Nothing and maybe a vending machine or something, but, but nothing is truly fully passive. If it front. was that, if it was so passive and so risk-free, like you would just have a corporate office just keep doing it all day themselves, you know, exactly. why would yeah. they, why would they need your money to do something that was truly passive? the owner does need to have some involvement, even in our managed yeah. model.
1: Now in our managed model, most of our owners probably are, you know, five some odd hours a week. And mostly it's it's being available to like their director, like their lead horse, right? And occasionally like they've, we could talk about it if we have time, but some of our um, passive owners have found ways to involve themselves in their business, to generate business that's more behind the scenes uh, is an easy way of saying so we'll it. Some of those ways. Like identifying contractual opportunities in their local market with, you know, with So big sales
0: opportunities that could bring in 50, 100, 200K.
1: Yeah. Like with managed care organizations, with facilities, with different, you know, elder care programs, chasing these down applying for these and then finding these contracts where, you know, people can get home care, but they're not paying for it. And so that's been a really meaningful way. Um, a couple of our passive owners, semi-passive owners, I should say, model owners have done this. Now, the genesis of this was around March of 2020. We didn't predict COVID. We just happened to launch this at the same time COVID came out. And so that was interesting and it got a lot of attention because COVID got, we know this, COVID got people really thinking about their lives and their careers.
0: Our website traffic for vetted biz just like skyrocketed during COVID. Just people were at (laughs) home working remote, spending a lot more time like Googling around. So it was a perfect storm because
1: people were looking for alternatives and businesses, but they were also faced with, I can't do this full time in a business and so I need something like Sunny Passive. So that's when we launched this. Now, We've gone through a couple of iterations of it, and there, no home care franchisor in the U.S. offers a formal, like, managed model, right? No, so we, usually it, it's
0: very active owner-operator working 40, 60-plus hours a week.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to give an opportunity of business ownership in the home care industry to people that weren't able to directly join their business right now. And most of the people we talked to you know, want to get off the managed model, want to join their business at some point progressively when it can afford them. And so we recognize that and put this model together, created a management services company called Caring Solutions Management Staffing. It's a separate company that is only set up to provide management oversight and support services to our managed model locations. And so we've learned a lot, right? We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about the level of capitalization needed For this, obviously more capital is needed for somebody that's gonna be, you know, a semi-passive owner in the managed model doing business through hired guns that we're coaching and kind of helping to oversee than an owner operator who's, you know, um, with a business partner who's handling those pillar functions. So, you know, we, we learned a lot about the capitalization required. We learned a lot about the type of support. That we need to offer these locations, we learned a lot about the type of people, the personalities that work best in this hired gun lead horse role. That's the face yeah. of a business in the community, but they're taking a paycheck, and the owner usually does that function. Um, so we've learned a lot about that. It's interesting that you know in home care, obviously, like I think the reason, one of the main reasons that a lot uh, all home care franchisors really want owner heavy owner involvement in the initial phases is because. The owner is often the face of that business in the community. And so, you know, we're in a position where we're really interacting with that director who's the face in the community, almost like we would um, interact with an owner. But it's a little bit of a different relationship in that they're an employee of the owner. And so we're pushing, guiding, looking at KPIs, et cetera. So, you know, we didn't know how this was going to play out. But fast forward to today, we've realized it takes a lot of our um, management services company bandwidth to do this work. Um, so we've had to build out a team. And, um, you know, we've also realized the support services that are most meaningful to these owners. And we've also realized that it works if owners are well enough capitalized to get their business to stand the test of time. That's very important to understand because a lot of people want a get-rich-quick scheme, and that is not home
0: care. Home care- Yeah, I'd love that, you know? You invest right? 50K, you make 100K a year. But Patrick, a lot of people are <laughs> like that. A lot of people think that when when
1: I buy a franchise, it's like buying a car or a house or something, right? I'm buying this asset and it's just gonna, what, I'm gonna be able to use it right away and it's gonna, you know, turn my
0: life around. And I think like, I guess a lot of people, like, I've had like bad business dealings in my 20s, and so my antenna's a lot more up and basically just investigate, franchises all day. So I, I see the good and bad. I guess a lot of people like maybe they haven't had such bad business dealings and they're kind of just gullible to sadly yeah. swindlers and charlatans um, and you know selling what? whatever they want to hear. But Patrick, a lot of times people don't plan ahead, do they?
1: And so they're 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 like, I need to change my life today. And it's like buying a franchise, it's not going to change your life today, right? This is the <laughs> wall. Long- It's going to cause you to spend money today and tomorrow and for the next several months. The first
0: two years are really tough. We usually set that expectation, like whether you're working day to day or you're going to have a managed model like ABS or a different company, like two years, it's a big adjustment. So just get ready for that. It will be tough. You'll learn a lot. You'll grow as a person, but it's not going to be easy.
1: I tell people don't count on drawing money off your business for yourself as an owner until you've been alive for three plus years and you know i'm being pretty conservative when i say that and and you know some people don't like that particularly people that want to draw money off their business right away but i don't want people to get a false impression and then if they beat that target great but i can say that um you know the managed model has been around for three and a half years we had our national convention national franchise convention summit in san diego in may of this year and we honored our top performers and two of our three top performers started out in the managed model. And the other yeah, it's top. A great was, it's only been three you know, years. Well, yeah, well, I won't talk about time, but we started the managed model okay. three and a half years ago. Our other top performers, our oldest franchise, right? That had been around for like, you know, seven, eight years. So, Kurt, how many franchisees
0: do you have open right now?
1: We have 21 open and we have 24 sold. So, we have 21 open okay. right now. And we have two corporate affiliates, the San Diego operation and um, another new location in the Phoenix market.
0: Going forward or say of those 24, like how many will start with the, the managed option versus them being an active owner operator from day one?
1: That's a good
0: question. Um, so let's
1: talk about those three that are sold but waiting for licensure and not open yet. Two are gonna be managed model and one is owner operator. And so that's fairly typical. It seems like if, if, if I sell three, probably two are gonna be managed model. You know, and and honestly, that's that's the risk of creating something that nobody else has, is that we're sort of have become known in the broker world for that. Right. And so a majority of the of the connections we get from franchise brokers are people that are looking for the managed model because they're interested in the industry. But there's literally no other option for them today. But, you know, and so we have that differentiator that that I think we've gotten known for, right? I mean, if we'd only been doing this for six months, we're not known for it. We've been doing this for three and a half years. And so for better or worse, that's kind of what we're known for now. So. As an organization, we have to be comfortable with that. And so we do limit our sales of this now. We didn't before, but now it's like, you know, five
0: to six a year is about our cap. You can just be a lot more selective in terms of the type of franchisees you, you yeah. onboard and yeah. just working with the partners you really want to be together with for the next 10, 20 years. That's the
1: deal. So we've learned a lot of those lessons, Patrick, and really because look, there was no blueprint. So how do we know the type of person that's going to be a good managed model owner? It's like, Oh, you got money. Come on in. Because it's a different profile though, right? Somebody who's going to be an owner operator in a home care organization, you want that empathy, compassion, a great why and all that stuff. But somebody who's going to be a semi passive owner in the managed model and not directly forward facing in their business, you know, it's okay that they have a different personality. We might we're going to select some somebody for the managed model that we would probably never select as an owner operator, and so that that's been tricky to really understand the profile of somebody who is best suited for that role. And so, I, I you know, we've taken our lumps in that regard, right? I and mean, we've had we've sold to some people where it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing. And I I think what I've learned by and large is that regardless of whether you're going to be Um, And this translates to anybody, you know, listening to this who's looking for a franchise in any industry, okay, what I'm about to say. What I've discovered is that, you know, whether you're an owner-operator or a semi-passive owner, managed model owner, your why is still important. And if the why is just, this seems like something that's a growing industry and I want to make money, that's not a good enough why. That's not a good enough why to keep you in this business for the long term because you know what? Every home care organization has the opportunity to be successful. But the magic big question mark is, okay, well, if every home care organization has the opportunity to be successful, how can, how, what is it? What, is, what is the difference maker? It's time. And, and if you give your business the opportunity to stand the test of time, you're going to eventually create a viable business. You know, it's not going to sit around and struggle forever if you're doing the right things. But you might go in, in a year, a year and a half, you might go, I'm doing all the right things. My business isn't as powerful as I want it to be you need to give it more time, more, more time under its legs. And we've seen some, you know, different locations that are different. And we've seen folks in some hyper-competitive areas that maybe it took them more time to find their footing and they weren't sure it was going to work. And then you fast forward to today and they go, man, I'm glad I stuck it out, you know? And, and so if people don't have a good why and, and, a, and a good gut connection to their business, then they're not good.
0: They're going to throw it away. They're not going to give it the chance to stand. Yeah, You could have a few bad months and you, you, yeah, essentially you throw it away. That's the deal because owning a business is
1: emotionally and financially stressful. I mean, let's be honest about it. And so if you don't truly believe in what your business does for the world, for your community, you know, then you're, if that you're doesn't not,
0: get you out of bed and super excited. Like, probably shouldn't go into business ownership. Period. But definitely not in the home care space. But Patrick, in some businesses, just the desire
1: to make money might translate to okay, right? But yeah, not exactly, because we're dealing with a vulnerable population. We're not the kind of business where you open your door of your office
0: and people come in for services. We're not a restaurant, right? And so, you know, we're dealing yeah, if you're with- selling like unhealthy food probably not super passionate about the, the end product and exactly. you're fine, you're doing it for money. And depending yeah. on the model, you can make a lot of money. Right. And so with home care, you do have to have some expressed why
1: that makes sense to all of us and something where we can go, that's going to keep you in this
0: because you believe in this. Maybe you had an experience with your parents that really that's, starts. That's what to- I've heard. It's usually you've been a caregiver before. You've gone through the experience with your parents or a loved one that really drew you in. And then you couldn't you can't get out of the industry because it's just yeah there's a lot of positive attributes and you, you a lot see of, a huge impact.
1: A lot of our owners were dealing with care for their parents and found that a lot of the care out there was not good. And they found that they really struggled and nobody guided them down this process and they had to educate themselves on what resources are available. Who pays for this? How do I do this? And so
0: you know that's um th- that inspires a lot of people. Well, Kurt, I think we'll, we'll end on that. You summarized well the type of people like should go into home care as well as I think more generally business ownership, but there are exceptions for certain industries. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or your colleagues if they're interested in, in learning more about a better solution in home care? Well, I think you edit this, so I don't know if you put URLs up on the screen, but
1: uh, our website is a good place to start. Um, our franchise website is homecarefranchisepartners, plural, dot com.
0: Homecarefranchisepartners.com. We'll include that in the, the description as well as the show notes for the yeah, so, podcast.
1: So that's a great place to start. Also, our main website um, is a good place to To just get an idea of where our franchise locations are, who are our owners, you know, the types of services offered. And that's ABS, like a better solution, absihc.com, like a better solution in home care, absihc.com get a really good idea of the mix of people sometimes people like when i'm buying something myself or investigating companies Uh, it's funny i like to see who the the leadership is and so so you know it's it's an opportunity to go to the website right look at the locations look at the owners look at their bios and you know get an idea of the the flavor of of this business and i think that when you look at the people involved and their backgrounds you i think you get a better flavor of of
0: of this business that you're
1: investigating,
0: I've seen um, across the board the most successful franchise systems have franchisees that had a very impressive background before they entered. They mm-hmm. didn't just they didn't become successful in the franchise system and help further propel their career. Yeah. They already had some success whether it's monetary or non-monetary in, in the past, but in whatever they were doing in their field, they were really good at it. Yeah. They or the franchise system and there's a bunch of other franchisees that have prior success and it's a virtuous circle. Yeah, and, and to
1: that point, and I just kind of, I guess, end on saying that if you're t- dealing with one person, you know, who's interested in this industry, and I'm speaking of any industry, this industry, I'm honed in on this industry. I encourage people to investigate at least a couple of brands in that industry yeah. because, just because that industry makes sense for you doesn't mean that franchisor does you may thrive in this franchisor's system but not in this franchisor's system and so that's why the people in the franchise are important and you need to to you know be able to you know compare and contrast right opportunities and some people just look at you know one franchisor in different industries they're interested in but i don't i'm not sure that that's enough right for for most people and so You know, if you're in the right franchise system for you, um, based on your goals and your personality and your aspirations and your capitalization and what kind of financing you have available, franchising, you know, as a franchisor, you know, myself and our CEO, I'll speak to her, we're in this to change people's lives. And, you know, as a franchisor, we were in home care to change seniors' lives. But as a franchisor, we franchise to change our franchise owners' lives. And you know, get them to a place. Help, help provide them a vehicle that takes their life to a place that they envisioned. And and that's our goal. And people often ask, with this managed model, why don't you just open up a bunch of corporate affiliates around the country and keep all the money? And the answer is really not what most people expect, which is what turns us on as a franchisor is creating successful entrepreneurs and business owners around the country, and ultimately, then we really impact a lot of seniors through our brand around the country. And so that's just our heart for this type of work. Yeah, I'm
0: sure you can have just a much bigger scale growing the way you do versus if you grew a separate path with more corporate locations, yeah. more impact. I think so. Awesome, Kurt, well, I appreciate your time today. We'll be sure to include the the links to your websites, the description, as well as the show notes. And uh, yeah, just wanted to thank you again. Sounds good, thank you, it's a pleasure speaking with you.